0: You probably have a number of different ideas for things to do as a side project, whether you've seen a gap in a market that you believe you can address, you don't like the tools that are already in that market, or you see a market that you really like. Ideas are everywhere. You're essentially swimming in them all the time. However, no matter how good the idea is, if you can't execute on it, you'll never release it. The tech stack you use at work to build things may not be appropriate for starting a side business for a variety of different reasons. In this episode, we'll discuss some of the things that you should consider when selecting a tech stack for a side hustle. A lot of these also apply if you are starting a small project from scratch within a new company. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this
1: week? Well, um, I am getting a new computer, uh, or at least getting the new... Innards of one, parts yeah. of the old computer are going to get moved over, like the video cards. Um, thanks, Bitcoin, for not <laughs> crashing quite enough yet. I'm waiting a little bit before I upgrade the video cards and the hard drives.
0: Yeah, he's got a couple of
1: boxes of just really cool stuff. Yeah, and so I've got a new case, and I've got a new CPU and motherboard and um, RAM and all that, all that jazz, like all the stuff that's a pain to to fiddle with is going to get replaced. Um, you know, we, we looked up the processor I currently have and it came out in the fall of 2008. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, and I've, I've pushed it a long way, right? Like I've dumped more memory in there. I have, you know, I added the SSD. I've got a bunch of other stuff, I, you know, I've done, I'm real careful about performance and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's not been too bad, but the latest windows update just totally started breaking stuff in a bad way. So I finally decided that you know it's not going to be supported like my network card drivers. Um, there are no Windows 10 drivers. It's using the Win 8 drivers badly. Wow. Yeah, it's just time. So I'm I'm doing that uh, major upgrade. Also spoke at NSS again this week. Um, and I've got a thing I'll probably talk about here later in the show on that. Cool. But how about you?
0: So I'd forgotten what non-medical textbooks are like. <laughs> you know, I gotten used to reading medical school books and... Even with development, blogs and tutorials are very succinct. They
1: yeah. don't have a lot of fluff in them. Well, they're not getting paid by the, by the word yeah. or by the page, <laughs> right? Like it's the model there is, okay, I got to get this out and then go back to a, doing something useful, which is the same thing that your medical textbooks are right. under.
0: Well, the, with the medical textbooks, it's just so much information has to be packed into it that they don't have a lot of room for fluff. Like maybe once every two or three chapters, you'll have a little side story about something. But that's about it. The the textbook I'm reading now for school, uh it's oh my goodness, it is so redundant. They tell you what they're going to tell you, then they tell you about it, then they show you some examples, then they remind you what they told you, and then at the end they give you a summary. So it's like a podcast outline. Yeah, kind of kind of yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with a couple of extra pieces in there. I mean, yeah. It's it's and that's not even getting into the fluff, because the fluff would be, you know, comparing it to podcasts, it would be our stories around it to explain it. Um, And, you know, sometimes we will each tell a story or two, and I'll cut that down in yeah. the episode to just one, one, sometimes two stories if they kind of hit different points. But, like, we, we try to make that as succinct as possible so that we can get to the information and give examples of the information. Well, this is, whew, there's just, it's... I don't know. It's a different world and a different way of reading. So, I went at it. I gave it the med school try. Yeah. And I'm reading through this. I'm going, I've already read this. Am I rereading the same page? And I flipped back. I'm like, no, it's saying literally the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I um, i had forgotten about that. Uh, hopefully, when I move up into some of the more detailed and like graduate specific to like data science books, they will have less of that.
1: Yeah, I think they will.
0: Cause this is like a very basic learning Java. Anyways, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, so, uh, we had a really awesome lunch and learn yesterday at work. One of our UI developers and a fellow grad student, she's not in the same program as me, but she's also a grad student. Caitlin did a talk on Kanban and like that agile methodology where she demonstrated the process of kind of having an assembly line by having us make sushi. Huh. It was, it was a lot of fun, and we even got to eat the product afterwards, so it included
1: lunch. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's handy. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. I if I could pull that one off at work <laughs> just to get free sushi at the company. We all know how to use a Kanban board. Oh. Nice. also ran into a friend of ours that we met
0: through our meetup group. Uh, yesterday and we ended up going out for margaritas with her roommate. She was impressed that I was using a Mac at work now. And then as we got to talking, we figured out that I have the Mac that she had when she was there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. So, it was fun catching up and she was telling me about some of the side work that she's been doing. So, it kind of like when I was writing down what I was going to talk about, I was like, oh yeah, you know, that kind of correlates. But speaking of that, I've got something that goes right along with this episode for IOTs. So I have an article called 10 Most In-Demand Internet of Things Skills. Yes, this is a listicle or slideshow, but it has some really good information about the skills that you'll need to get a job or start a side hustle in the IoT realm. If you're wanting to turn your hobby into a career like I did um, with development, or wanting to make just a little extra cash working on the side in a fun area, this is a really great list of the skills that you'll need to succeed. I mean, many of them are kind of obvious, at least to me, like Node, GPS security. But then there are some things that I didn't expect, like AutoCAD. Um, and so each slide talks about the skill, how it relates to IoT, and the percent increase in demand. So you can kind of determine which skills to focus on. And I'll have a link to that in the show
1: notes. Who's talking to us this week? We got a tweet from Adolfo saying, I really enjoyed this podcast. Always good content. Yeah,
0: he also linked to the show in the tweet. I didn't put oh, that in there. Very cool. Yeah. Adolfo, thanks so much. We really enjoy creating it. It's it's a lot of fun. We're here every week doing this. It's just sort of a typical Thursday night now. So. Yeah, but send us a DM with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own Complete Developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Google+, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. We're also on Instagram, Path, and Tumblr. You can check us out each week on Facebook and Twitter Live, where we talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer some listener questions. Or join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com.
1: Side hustles can be a lot of work. Not only do you have a day job, but if you're trying to do something on the side as well, every moment counts. While messing around with library compatibility problems, database configuration, and the like is part of your day job, you probably don't want to do very much of it after hours when you're just trying to get something done. Remember, the goal of a working side hustle is to make extra money on the side, not to be a vehicle for exploring a new framework language or approach.
0: No, that's that would be a different thing altogether. That would be a study project. Yeah. Now, when selecting a development stack for a side project, you need to maximize the amount of time that you have available for actually getting things done. This means reducing the amount of time you spend troubleshooting weird errors, digging around in configuration files or trying to deal with massive structural changes to your workflow. On your day job, if you lose three hours to fighting with a configuration problem, you still have half a day left and you still get paid. On a side project, however, three hours of a configuration slugging match means that you don't get anything done and don't actually start work until tomorrow. In addition to wanting to get to where you can make money on your project, you probably also don't want to spend every waking moment of your life in front of a computer screen. So efficiency is really important here.
1: Yeah, and we're going to start by talking about the cost of tools and hosting. Then we'll get into the platform itself, discussing stability, access to help, deployment, and interactions with other platforms. Finally, we'll finish on mixed environments and languages. And the, the goal here is to kind of uh, help you pick a tech stack that is appropriate for a side hustle and know the areas where the ones that you're using may not be.
0: Right. Now, bear in mind that these things are going to be a bit different for everyone, So we can only really offer guidelines that you may emphasize or ignore based on your own experience.
1: And so the first point is the cost of tooling. Now, this is a big one on a side hustle, especially if you're starting from nothing. Mm -hmm. Now, at work, I use uh, Embarcadero's Delphi IDE. I would not have used it on a side project until very, very recently because they finally did come out with a free version. Oh, really? I have to get this. Um, yeah. That's very, very limited. But um, still, I, I, yeah. It's and Embarcadero really cool. and, and is a really cool company, but for a while there, they just had this boneheaded idea that like, oh yeah, you want to get an IDE, yeah, that's $3,000. Yeah. Like you can't do a side project for that. Right. I mean, you could use Lazarus and do, you know do that, but development environments have gotten a lot cheaper in recent years. Um, the Embarcadero thing, you know, yeah, 3000 bucks. That's a lot. Visual Studio used to be, you know, what 500 mm-hmm. or something. And then they had these uh, community or not community editions I forget what it was called. Um, that were like a really stripped down version that didn't take plugins. And that was all you could get for free.
0: Yeah, it was, it was is what they have now. I'm um, like, oh oh express I, express. I had that. And it yeah. like, I, I remember I had that when I very first started Yep. learning. Cause it was 2015 where they came out with a, community edition. So before that I had the 2013 express and I was trying to get something done. And I asked you and you're like, Oh, do this. I'm like, I can't do that.
1: Yeah. Like add a, a DLL and you, you couldn't make one. So yeah, it was stuff like that. So you, it's better now, but you do have to bear in mind that the low end version of the IDEs may or may not be good enough for what you need. Mm -hmm. Now this gets expensive if the low-end version isn't good enough. There's a paid one that is. If you get yeah. a JetBrains IDE, they're not that crazy expensive. Um, but there's no, some others not. that are uh, not so pleasant.
0: Oh yeah, I'm like I'm. I used WebStorm. Yeah. Uh, in a class uh, that I took at work, and oh my goodness, I'm like this is.
1: I I love. Yeah, WebStorm is good.
0: Yeah, I love VS Code, but that was even better than doing JavaScript and VS Code. I'm like this is awesome.
1: Yeah. So That product is well worth it. Um, and speaking of VS Code, um, you know it, it's free and it works pretty well for a wide variety of things. I've okay. used it for everything from JavaScript to C sharp to batch files to Markdown. I even used it with graph files mm-hmm. where you like use text to specify a directed graph, yeah. and you know had the preview thing where it would actually draw the like the flowchart with it. <laughs> um, it'll do a lot of different stuff, so it's it's very slick, but There's use cases uh, where it's extremely soft. For instance, if you're relying on things like Visual Studio GUI designers, you don't have those there.
0: Now, also, we've kind of hinted at this, but free versions of paid applications are reduced in their functionality, even the different levels. So... The Community Edition isn't going to have as much as the Pro Edition, which isn't going to have as much as the Enterprise Edition.
1: Yeah, Enterprise Visual Studio is very, very nice. It's also very, very
0: expensive. I think it's like 2000
1: Yeah, I know people that have it.
0: (laughs) With this, also consider the cost of the equipment on which you're going to run your development tools. Like with Will especially, just buying new stuff. If the platform is going to require you to buy a new machine to use it on, Apple has been bad about this in the past. Yeah. Um, that's an immediate and serious cost that you need to justify. Now, the nice thing with, with Apple these days is you can actually buy cloud space. To right, do and,
1: and get things done that way. Yeah. Um, but that's still a cost, right? Yeah.
0: They, they've made it easier and a lower entry point to getting into being a an Apple developer.
1: Yeah. Now, another thing that'll get you to is the hardware that you are running the actual. Yeah. So, like, if you're making an iPhone app, you're probably going to need an iPhone at some point in there. Maybe there are services that will Yeah, that'll test it out, but yeah. you know, I've I've not seen anybody be super successful with using like the emulated oh, stuff yeah. because there's just always some weird little quirk and you don't see it until it gets on the real phone. Oh,
0: totally, cuz when we were building the um the Alexa app, like in the SDK, there is a way to like test it and like you type in what you want to say, you can even hook it up to your microphone and run it through the, through your computer. But it wasn't until we actually put the app on a dev account on my Alexa that we found, oh
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> these, these little quirks that we, we didn't quite expect.
1: Yeah. Understand that it, like, if you look at an emulator as being a copy of a copy, yeah that's probably a better way to think about it. It's not a copy. It's, it's got some, uh, it, it's lossy. Mm -hmm. in terms of what it'll do now you also have to consider how using existing hardware is going to impact your home situation so like let's say that you and your wife and kids have got multiple machines but only one of them can actually run a development environment and that one happens to also be the only one that can run Fortnite. right now you're going to have an issue yep like that's going to be a point of friction so don't you know don't forget that
0: that's why you you have everybody do console gaming yeah you don't have to worry about that
1: yeah, that's um, that's a whole nother <laughs> can of worms there. Or just have them use Minecraft and then it's like, oh, your yeah. graphics look like they're from 1994 anyway. Yeah. Also, be sure
0: and consider what happens on a shared computer if one of the other users messes with your stuff.
1: Yeah, I've known people that have tried to start side businesses and, for instance, their spouse unhealthy browsing habits mm. to put it, you know, keep it very PG. And yeah, their stuff got locked up by ransomware. Yep. And, you know, what do you do if you, you know, you don't have backups somewhere, um, you know, which probably you don't, if you also have that kind of stuff going on, like that's a problem. So you got to, you got to think about these, these things a lot before you do stuff.
0: So finally, under tooling, we need to talk about, and I hate that we even have to talk about this, but yeah, I
1: know it's like, here's you, why you don't stick your finger in the electrical outlet.
0: Yeah. It's, this is something we shouldn't have Use to a say, fork, it'll go further. but we know too many people that have to, to not mention this, but do not use the software and tools of your development environment from work.
1: Yeah, in other words, don't remote into your work machine and do your stuff. Don't take your stuff to the office and do it. Don't use a license from work at home to do that. I mean, this is why even even though it was just a proof of concept, when Dave
0: and I built the Alexa app, we created a separate developer email address to create an Amazon account with it. And so, like there was we we jumped through those hoops just so that we didn't have we didn't put it on our own personal stuff
1: I mean it's morally dodgy at mm-hmm. best right like that's that goes without saying because you're you're not paying for a license that you're using it can also be bad if your side hustle gets wildly successful and your work finds out that you use their licenses and equipment because they may have a legal case against you
0: yeah I know a lot of places they'll make you sign it's kind of the case if you build it on our machines with our stuff we own it yeah because they own the machines now if you if you use something you learned, knowledge,
1: yeah, they that's don't care different about that, and that's hard to enforce. Yeah, non-competes vary a lot, and then there's also the variance in uh, ownership of of equipment, like mm-hmm. what that implies. But like, you just don't want this headache. It's worth paying a little bit and not having the headache. Oh
0: yeah, I mean, for a while, I I think are you are still using your own pro version of Visual Studio?
1: Yes, and Resharper.
0: Yeah, so you and, you pay for that, and it goes back to the same kind of thing with paying for your
1: own. Learning, yeah, and the same. You know, my plural side account is the same thing. Um, you know, work will pay for it, but I like to keep that stuff separate. Now, there's another thing that can happen here too: is they can find out before your side hustle takes off, or find out at a critical juncture. Like if mm-hmm. you're already, like you're getting close to launching something, you're probably working like a dog, and you're probably really tired, and maybe you take some days off because you're you're sick. Yeah, in air quotes or not, and they find out about it, and oh, this stuff is on that machine, and they know that you're releasing. They can fire you. Right then. Now you've got a launch that you're trying to do while you're unemployed. Um, so like it's just you're hey, exposing at least you got time to deal with the issues.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah you got lots of time, but um,
1: you know, you can be in a, re- they can put you in a really weird spot. So you're just in exposing reality, yourself to trouble.
0: In reality, you don't have a lot of time because you're going to be looking for another job. Yeah. You know, because
1: you you don't want to rely on that. Unless that side hustle really, really goes well. Yeah. And it's probably not at that level if you were able to build it on the side. Mm. Not anymore. So the
0: next thing is the cost of hosting and running your your side project. It's not only the cost of the development tools that you have to consider. Running a real application, it requires money. There's a lot of costs that come along with this. This is something that I learned getting into development and we started the podcast and things like that, that I, I guess I really hadn't noticed. When I had done things before, like I built the website f- for my wedding when I got married so that we could live stream it. This was back before Facebook live and all that. So, uh, we could live stream it so my grandmother could watch it. Yeah. And I kind of knew a little bit and I paid for some tools and stuff, uh, for that. But I, you know, I, I really didn't realize how much was involved until we got into building things as you were teaching me and like hosting fees for websites are pretty low, at least at the lower end. However, you got to watch for web hosts whose costs go up drastically later.
1: Yeah. Or their support goes to crap or yeah. um, you know any number of things can happen, right? Like as you get under load, you know, they'll hit you with charges. Some of the cloud providers are pretty annoying. About yeah. that. We both have been burned yeah. um, by Azure with this, where like you get y- your website gets attacked and you get charged for the bandwidth. And it's like, mm-hmm. I, that's not legitimate traffic. You got to consider those costs. You got to consider stuff like email hosting domains, uh, your website, Host may have some limits that you won't see until it's too late, um, you know, because it could be everything from like I remember back in the day it used to be, oh, you, don't, you know, they got to have the front page extensions. Like this was way back, obviously, but yeah, um, there'll be stuff like that or stuff where, you know, you need some Apache module mm-hmm. to work. And they're like, no, you're not getting access to have that unless you pay this extra.
0: Also, don't forget the cost of your database and storage. Different databases are going to cost different amounts to run. The those pricing scales, it it's another thing that kind of shocked us when we get, really got into it. Like it it can burn you. Yeah. If you if you're not prepared for it. Now the initial price may be enough to get going, but you got to be careful.
1: Yeah, because like a lot of the cheap hosting, they'll be like, oh yeah, we'll let you register a domain name and we'll let you set up a website and it'll be like five dollars a month and you do all this stuff. But what they are counting on is you getting locked in and your domain being hosted there and they're gonna be real slow moving it. Uh-huh. If you ever try to move off, it's going to be a giant headache. Yep, because they're counting on that for you know you basically ramping up the cost to yourself over time.
0: Mm-hmm. So like as your as you get more business or more people coming through your site,
1: they take a larger percentage of right.
0: it. right. <laughs> yeah, you also need to be careful of which web and database features you use. Uh, pricing tends to go up quickly if you get enterprisey. Things or large amounts of data are involved.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, SQL server features, for instance, is, is a real bad one for that, where some of the um, you know, analytics pieces cost more. Mm-hmm. And so you may look at that and you go, hey, I have a developer edition and I can do all this stuff on my local box. And then I push out to the real environment and I find that, oh, yeah, this thing I spent four weeks working on, I can't do that without SQL server enterprise and the associated licensing. That really hurts. Yeah. Um, so you gotta, you gotta be really careful about that stuff. I mean, and there's lots of other things too, stuff like, uh, security certificates. I mean, let's encrypt has helped, mm-hmm. um, but that's not gone away yet. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff to, to think about.
0: And the thing is, if things are running really well later, you're going to be
1: reluctant to move hostings unless it's a huge price difference. And this is something that we've faced. Oh, we've gone, I mean, we've gone round and round about that. Cause we, honestly don't want our site to be WordPress anymore. We Mm -hmm. would love it to be a static website thing. And you know, like that would be so much less effort once it's up. Unfortunately, I have a full time job and I'm
0: in grad school now. Yeah. Whereas the when we built our other static sites and this website for the podcast, I was learning to code. And so this was part of my learning. Yeah. And I didn't I had like a part time job that was just helping pay the bills. So yeah, it was it's a
1: yeah, you're different- kind of stuck with stuff once you get it. Is yeah. the, is the point here. So you got to be careful what you get. It's think of your your web host as as more like a tattoo than a hair coloring.
0: Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> it can be removed, but
1: it costs and, and it, it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you can cover it up. Right. <laughs> exactly. And that's called caching, ladies and gentlemen. So,
0: next we're going to talk about platform stability. You may consider it cool when the platform you use for work is getting big updates that drastically improve things. It's really like awesome.
1: .NET Core right now, right? Yeah. Like There's a lot of cool stuff coming. I would be very reticent to use it on a side hustle yet. Uh, in, a few, in a year or so, yeah. Um, and I'm pretty conservative on that too. But the thing is at work, you like it when the platform is unstable because you get to learn new things. Um, mm-hmm. But you're not paying for the problems that are caused by that.
0: However, on a side hustle... You yeah.
1: are. It's you. Yeah. You are probably making
0: a big mistake if you try to use a framework that isn't stable for a side hustle. Like I think of when Angular Angular JS when it first came out, the one point Yeah. A lot of people were were picking it up because it was really cool, a lot of awesome stuff, and they built their side hustles. They based them on that, or their side businesses based on that, and then Angular two comes out, and it is a whole nother realm.
1: Yeah, and they've got to do a whole bunch of work that isn't providing business value.
0: Right. Just um, to to make that transition or you keep working in the old, the old stuff, stuff
1: and you keep building up technical debt. Right. Which developer, like that's going to destroy your morale yeah. uh, more than anything else. So uh, remember that any time that your framework takes away is taken away from actually getting things done that make you money or it's taken away from your social life and all the other stuff you care about like the presumed reasons for doing a side hustle Mm
0: -hmm. another thing to consider is how stable the code is that runs on the platform just because the coding interface is stable doesn't mean that it is particularly stable in a production server environment Oh my goodness! Going to production, I have suffered and suffered for this the past few weeks.
1: Yeah, um, you know, there's there's stuff in .NET that'll still burn you. Yep, there's stuff in Rails that will still burn you. Um, I remember uh, right before the introduction of Rack, there was this big brouhaha, and I forget who who started it, but they were basically talking about how they rebooted their um, instances of mongrel every few minutes, like they restart, and that's like the the little web server thread runner yeah. deal, basically You're like what every few minutes, you know, and, and this was in a production environment. Like it was crazy talk and uh, stuff like that happens, um, but you don't want to be the one finding out about this. <laughs> The whole thing sounds ridiculous, but lots of rapidly developing systems haven't been well-tested under production workloads. Mm-hmm. Um, we ran into this with a uh, document database provider that we were using years ago at a previous employer. And now it's like super stable. It's not a problem. But you know, we were on the bleeding edge. We had some of the biggest databases that they had. Mm-hmm. And we were having to call overseas to get help. And yeah. so like, you, you call at night. Mm-hmm. and, you know, you get help on this stuff. So, I mean, it was it was it a bit rough. A lot of times the only way this sort of stuff really gets tested is for somebody to put a system under load, and then you find out, that, oh, yeah, this doesn't work real well. You yeah. don't want to be that person, because it really sucks if you've got a side project and it falls over at night and you have to get up and deal with it, and then you mm-hmm. go to work in the morning. Trust me, I've been there. You do not want that.
0: Oh, hey, you know what? We've had some issues where the server went down when we were going to be publishing an episode. And so, because it's it was scheduled to go out at midnight.
1: It didn't. It yeah.
0: didn't. And it didn't, like, when it came back up, it didn't go, oh, hey, this had a release time prior to the current time, so it needs to be released. It just missed it. Yeah. and I remember
1: that. I got a call
0: times. from one so you- of the minor reasons I missed Jason, but one of them is he was waiting on our episode to drop. You know, he didn't, yeah. He didn't sleep much, so he would sit up and listen to it and call me if there was an issue that I needed to fix before the morning.
1: And um But it's rough. Like when you go into work the next morning after having to, you know, troubleshoot a server at night. Like oh, that's yeah. awful. Even if it's even if it's for your day job. Like that's bad enough, but at least they understand. Whereas if it's for a side hustle, that you can't bring that up. No, you you, you shouldn't talk about that. So speaking of, you know, the ecosystem of other people, you also need the ability to get help when you get stuck. Mm -hmm. That is a huge one. If you're doing anything interesting, you're probably pushing the limits of your own skill and knowledge, if not the platform that you're using. At some point, you're going to need help. So you don't want to use tools that limit the help you can get.
0: You may also want to bring another developer in on the project at some point. And if you're using a weird platform or language, that's going to take longer to either find someone that knows it or get someone up to speed on it.
1: You really want a large active developer community for a lot of reasons. Uh, besides the need to get help at some point, having a large development community around the platform you're using makes it a lot easier to find libraries that can do stuff mm-hmm. for you. It's like you talk to some external service, you don't have to write a REST client for it. There is one. Like that. That's an enormous amount of time that you don't want to spend.
0: A large development community... Also makes it more likely that you can find people who've already solved problems that you're likely to encounter, which is very useful while you're evaluating designs. So, you know, I I think about this because it's on both ends, like both extremes, the brand new stuff, like when Go first came out, I heard some podcasts about it. I looked into it. I was really interested in it, but there was not a lot of community there. You go the opposite direction. So you're doing Delphi at work. There's yeah. not a big Delphi community.
1: Yeah, but nothing's changed. Well, that's in a lot true.
0: And a lot of stuff like, but you you go to something something older. Yeah, and you're not going to have as much community. So you there's kind of a sweet spot in like it, it's like it's a bell curve
1: basically. Well, it's like if you use a newer technology, you know, all the help is people. Mm-hmm. And if you use an older technology, all the help is docs, or you might be able to find a developer at the doctor. <laughs> It's old enough, but like your, your limits really, uh,
0: that was one of your really best dad jokes ever, man. Yeah, it That was, was good. It was, it was uh, <laughs>
1: the, the point here is that just because you start a project alone, that doesn't mean that you can ignore the role of a good ecosystem to work with. Not only will a good ecosystem help you avoid being stopped cold by a roadblock, but they'll also help you to avoid them in advance. So you can ask questions and go, Oh, wait, this is going to be a huge screw up. That's going to paint me into a corner. Because of something about the language or the platform or whatever.
0: And this, this goes back to something that we kind of harp on a lot, and that is planning. Yeah. You know, building a side hustle is a long and lonely road and is tough enough without a good community around you.
1: Yeah, I've, I've done several different mm-hmm. side hustles. And one thing that's really, really rough is sitting up and it's 1130 on a Saturday night and you've got another four hours of coding to go. And you are completely discouraged and you are stuck on a problem. Like mm-hmm. that is not a happy place. You do not want to be trying to do.
0: Well, one of the nice things know. about knowing you is you've, unless it is like the language was written a year ago, you've probably used it Yeah, <laughs> at some point because you like to, you're like me, you like to learn new stuff and play around with things. So now that we've talked about sort of the tools and platforms and the building of the app, we're going to get into some considerations you need to take on the running of the app. First, the ease of deployment and management is really important. It goes without saying that if you are building something on the side, you are eventually going to have to both deploy it and manage deployed instances of it.
1: Yeah, so it may be interesting and fun to play with systems and learn how the pieces fit together, um, but that goes right out the window when money starts getting involved. Mm-hmm. So like you may want to play with Apache and Nginx and do all this other stuff. And, but you got a PHP site. You need to push out the reality changes that whole equation because it stops being fun when it starts costing you money to learn
0: yeah. by the minute. Having a solid deployment configuration can help you avoid having your project derailed at a time. You don't have control over it. Like when you're at work.
1: Yeah. So something goes down and it's like, okay, I've got to get, you know, like this server just completely died. Mm -hmm. At the web host, they've got another server for me to put stuff on. How quick can I get it over there? Assuming that they've handled the database backups or or whatever, how quick can I get back up and running? Um, And oh, by the way, you're at work. So, you know, maybe you've got your laptop with you and, you know, you can go and take an early lunch and go to the McDonald's down the street. What does your recovery strategy look like?
0: I remember um, there was one or two times back before I had my current job, where you were on your way into work and went to go listen to the episode that had just come out and called me because our website was down. Yep. And you know, I, was, like, I wasn't going in until later in the day, so I was able to actually get on my computer and figure out what was going on and fix it.
1: Yeah, deployment is easier now than it used to be, but there are some things that can be kind of difficult. You're probably going to either want to do Docker containers, which is preferable, like as far as actually getting stuff out there and getting mm-hmm. it running like... Holy cow, like configuration as code is amazing. <laughs> if you can get that working. Now you got to do work to get that ready. That's true. Um Or you need to be able to just copy files out somewhere and have everything work. That's what they called an X copy deployment, which is the way that I've done stuff, you know, yeah. pre Docker, because that mm-hmm. that was the easiest way. Like you don't want to have to install DLLs and all that kind of stuff. And you go, okay, if this requires installing a system DLL, I can't use it. Yeah. Well, that, that, m- makes me think is like at work, you know, we have a DevOps guy that deals with all that. Yeah. There's a reason there's a dude for that. Right. Even if it's a female dude. (laughs) Right. A dudette. A
0: dudette. I don't know. (laughs) Nobody uses the term dudette anymore.
1: I know. Um, But yeah, it's like I say, dude in the gender neutral sense, but like it's somebody handles that at your work. You're going to have to handle it here. So you want it to be as minimal as possible or it's going to suck.
0: Mm-hmm. Again, the idea is to avoid having to tinker with settings when a system is down. This also protects you against the web host making a configuration change with a script and breaking your stuff.
1: Right, because like if it's in a Docker container, like that's kind of self-enclosed. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's like, oh, hey, I'm using these PHP settings on this host... And I don't know, you've got a WordPress site that like, let's say you host a podcast and your server admins go in and say, I think that this directory under here should be protected and people shouldn't be able to get to these pages, <laughs> Yeah, <You know, laughs> that because that's never happened. Um, you don't want that, especially when you're at work because you're like, what about, you know, I don't get to eat lunch today because somebody else screwed up. Like mm-hmm. you got to think about that sort of stuff. You also need to be able to easily manage the software once it's out there. And this is both manual and automatic, and you've got to have both.
0: Would probably be better off with a GUI when you're just getting started, just so that you can get going and so you can quickly handle problems as
1: they arise. Yeah, because you're not going to really know all the little quirks of a deployment until you actually deploy. Yeah,
0: And you don't want to be reading wikis about command line parameters when a system's down. However, you do also eventually need console access and probably some sort of scheduled task runner, so that you can automate things once you've done them manually. And this is one of the really cool things that we've got going on where I work is we are moving to an automated build server.
1: Yeah, which weird. is too.
0: It's eventually going to be so cool because right now we've got the dev environment set up on it. So whenever I push my commits into our git repo, rebuilds and redeploys.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah. Another thing you're going to want to consider is your ability to connect with other platforms. No application is an island. Whether you want your users to be able to sign in with OAuth to import their data from other applications, Mm -hmm. or even to integrate well with their own stuff, you pretty much have to live in an environment where your stuff interacts with other people's stuff that you don't control.
0: Not only are there a lot of security implications to integrating with other platforms, there can also be a lot of complexity. It's a pain, really.
1: Yeah. I mean, we have integration points for this podcast that do stuff like dump messages out into Slack. And uh, was it when Kanban board cards get moved, it puts files out there for us. It's little stupid stuff, right? Those things break. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they're just not, there's not much there. They're not business critical. It's annoying when they break. Um, but this, this happens. Now, I'll tell you a story about Facebook integration. <laughs> um, because I worked at a company and I had to do a Facebook integration, and they broke stuff on us all the time. Facebook's motto is "Move fast and break things." Um, they don't mean their things; they mean your things, right? And so, like, I was frustrated, and I like typed into Google search, you know, Facebook integration sucks, right? And I found this poll that they did, and this was probably 2012 or so. There was a poll about which company was the worst social media provider to integrate with. And Facebook won resoundingly. Yep. But the first comment under there just about killed me because somebody wrote, Facebook is only the worst one to integrate with because there is no word in the English language that's worse than worst. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's all the comments said. And I I just about fell out of my chair because I've been fighting with it for like three days. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. So what
0: this means is that you need pretty easy support for several common integration methods. Webhooks will need to be supported for cases where applications are calling into your application over the web.
1: Yeah, and one of the most common ones for that is stuff like uh, payment providers, email service providers, mm-hmm. stuff that you send at a request and you're like, okay, call me back when you're done. Uh, you got to be able to support that workflow pretty easily. You also need to be able to support things like OAuth if you plan to integrate with third-party websites, especially on behalf of your users. So, like, they're using QuickBooks, you need to get in there and do stuff... At an mm-hmm. API level, you you know you've got to go through the whole workflow.
0: You will probably want fairly decent and clean ways of dealing with your JSON or XML data as well
1: yeah, and this is not something that's as much of a problem as it used to be mm-hmm. um, but it's still a problem in some platforms. i've got a friend that wrote his own JSON parser in Visual Basic oh. Um, not too long ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> sounds painful. It was. You know. <laughs> he's he's a tough dude, I guess. He just <laughs> he decided that's where he was going and he went there. Um you don't want to do that on a side hustle. Oh no. Or or probably at all, but you just, you so, don't want to do it when there's when you're trying to make money on the side. Your platform is also gonna need to play nicely with other systems that you intend to use for business. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to need to integrate with a payment provider or two, for instance. Um, And that can be kind kind of nasty.
0: Analytics. uh, This is something that I've been working on personally, just sort of side project at work, Uh, including but not limited to, to Google Analytics are also going to be in the mix when you try to make money off of an application.
1: Yeah. So you need to see where your website traffic is coming from, like what. Keywords are driving people in there, what features are getting used. So you're going to use stuff like Segment or you're going to use stuff like Hotjar. There's all these different tools that you hook in, especially like on the JavaScript side, that you've got to figure out how that fits in your ecosystem. And you don't want a platform that burns you on
0: Mm -hmm. that. You'll probably have an easier time of it using something that is widely used, at least if you want a supported SDK.
1: Right. So if you're not going to, if you don't want to have to write a raw REST client for Mm -hmm. something, and you're using like C sharp, Java, JavaScript, you know some of the common languages. Those companies probably have built an SDK. Whereas if you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to use Forth to do this, you're probably going to be writing a REST client.
0: That's that's true. What I think about when when I read this was the Amazon Alexa app or skill, I yeah. should say, it has an SDK because uh, the Alexa code does all the machine learning and things like that, where you just pass it in like um, intents. And it's like you give some samples sample utterances that people might say, and then it it can figure out like once it's in your skill, it can figure out based on those samples, okay, you know like if you say, for example, um, alexa,
1: are there any gators in Smoky Mountain National Park
0: <laughs> and you gotta say it just like that yeah. i was I, I was thinking like um like alexa and then of if, course if you comes- if you put if you put in as your your example. What are the books by? And then you have like an author. Ah, yeah. Variable. But you say, Hey, what has Terry Goodkind written? Then it will, you know, if you have enough samples, it will figure out, Oh, that's what you mean to ask. Ah. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of neat. But the cool thing is they have an SDK for all that, or it's just a JSON file. So you could generate the JSON with all that information in there and just. Push well, it up.
1: You probably want the easier road, especially when you're trying to make a minimum viable product to test out, and you're going to be pivoting and doing a whole bunch of stuff. You don't want to dump six months into some obscure feature that you may throw away later because it's going to make you overly attached to it. So you want to you want the easiest way to get there first.
0: Oh man, one of the most fun things I did at my job early on was um, taking this arcane coordinate system uh, and converting it into long and lat, so that we could do that exact thing, um, put it into a a map and stuff. And that was really, really cool. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you know, you just get a mixture of of stuff. And speaking of which, uh, another thing your tool probably needs to be able to handle is mixed environments. Now, there was a time when you could reasonably expect all or most of your users to use a single browser, a single operating system, a single mobile platform. I remember those days, and you do too, and we're never going to see those again. Your stuff has to work well in a mixed environment. This means things like supporting multiple
0: mobile environments are not only reasonable, but expected. Of course, at this point there's two mobile environments.
1: Yeah, well I mean, You don't you don't have a Windows mobile environment anymore. Right. But you also have multiple versions of Android. Yeah. You have multiple versions of iPhone. You have iPad. You have Android tablet. Yeah. And you have you have some things that are that are mobile in air quotes, but it's actually like a <laughs> portable computer. Right. And then you have like... The, the, the thing is, the
0: what is a phone tablet and what is a laptop have blended. Yeah. So you, you have like a lot of crossover.
1: Now, this can also mean things like handling display resolutions that may be anywhere from an ultra high def widescreen on a high end Mac, all the way down to a really crappy commodity phone display or potentially some little display on an IoT device.
0: That's very true. I hadn't thought about that. Now, that brings a whole nother realm into it. Yeah, is the, the IoT world. Now, like I built a computer from a Raspberry Pi for my nieces that they can get on and play games. And I have Scratch on there for them to learn a little bit of coding so they can code like Uncle BJ. But, you know, uh, you, you may have to support that.
1: Yeah. And the fun thing is it's going to be nearly impossible to test all the configurations that you're going to encounter in the wild ever.
0: Yeah. So, one thing you may have to support is that somebody somebody built a phone in Minecraft. Like yeah. A functioning phone in Minecraft that you could call people from.
1: Yeah. And that's one of those things It's like, no, I'm not supporting that. <laughs> <laughs> that's horrifying. <laughs> Why did you do that? That is so awesome. <laughs> although, although honestly, I would love to get that ticket and I would probably be like, okay, let's see if we can make this happen. I know. Wouldn't just, it be awesome? Just because that's bragging rights. Uh-huh. But like from a business standpoint, I would not support that. But- Yeah. So your users will also make things challenging for you.
0: Some users don't update, ever. And, you know, it's interesting because where I'm at at work, going back to the uh, network access control episode we had, they have to update their machines. In order to to work, they have to do that. But when you're not in an environment like that... Like a lot of your users. Yeah. I Um, mean, you'd be surprised at how many people expect their Windows 2000... Or Windows XP if you're my mother.
1: Yeah, and I mean you'll still see Windows ninety eight machines out yeah. there in places, you know, certain uh, types of environments. There was actually a auto shop in Poland recently that they found that was still using I think a TRS eighty. And like they're using it for processing their invoices and all this stuff and they were wanting to update their system, I think, and somebody just goes, Um, I have no idea how to even start on that. I don't know how you'd start on like how would you get stuff off of there? Like that that's something yeah. that's gonna take a minute. So people don't like to update, except when they do, (laughs) because that's the other side of it. Other users want you to support the very latest version of whatever platform they use flawlessly. iOS dropped a new version this morning. By noon, they expect it to work perfectly on their phone. You don't have a phone that supports that, and you know the vendor may have changed something. Heck, they may have a bug that you don't know about. They just dropped a new OS. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's real bad on the automatically updating ones, because... You know, like, for instance, Microsoft can push something that breaks your stuff and you don't have a recourse to it. Like, you just got to deal with it.
0: The real fun stuff happens, though, when the constraints of a user with a cheap machine or low memory, slow CPU. Don't know anybody in this room that's ever had that problem. Yeah. Can't get anything done at all because you optimized for your users with good machines to be able to do things fast.
1: Yeah. And this is something we run into at work because we have some clients that are a bit slow on updating machines um, to the point of going, Hey, I want to stay on 32 bit. Mm, um, yeah. And things are different. Like the Delphi compiler stuff acts differently under 32 bit. Like you, it's a completely, you got to test everything again mm-hmm. for that to, to work. And, <laughs> you know, we've got clients like that. And then we've got clients that are like, Oh yeah, here's a cluster, <laughs> you know, and and you try to optimize where both of those people are happy that, that there's a very, very thin line that, yeah, that's work be. well. Um, that's and, a pain, and you're going to run into that. Now you'll run into it as well when you go from you know low power devices to the souped up Mac, and you're mm-hmm. still trying to run on the same website.
0: The point is that your user base grows. The constraints that they put on your system will eventually paint you into a corner. No matter what you're doing, that's going to happen. This typically means that your software needs to rest on a stable framework or platform that's able to adjust to your client's platform. Rather than you doing all the work yourself.
1: Right. So that that probably means not getting into bare metal coding Mm -hmm. if you can possibly avoid it. I mean, that's why we have .NET. That's why we have the JVM. That's why we have the Ruby runtime. That's why we have all these other things is because those platforms are supposed to work well. On other platforms. In other words, this is somebody else's problem, and it's hopefully somebody's problem that has more money and time than we do.
0: (laughs) Now, while stability is a feature, it's something that clients expect by default and doesn't differentiate your product. Yeah. You especially don't want to be in this slugging match when you have a full-time job during the day, and this is your side thing.
1: Yeah, because this is when it'll break, right? Yeah. That's when all the users are going to be hitting the system, and the ones that are the slowest and have all the performance issues, that's when they're going to be hitting the system?
0: Well, it's like with the podcast. We have two times on release day that are huge. Morning, when everybody's driving into work, and afternoon, when When they're they're driving home. home. Yeah. Um, And The third point is the next day of morning. Yeah. And so that's when we're getting hit a lot. For us, we're driving into work. Well, actually, now we're both working from home. But, you know, yeah. Before, we were driving into work, and we were driving home from work. So if something happened during our peak time...
1: There's nothing we could do about it. And yeah, so you you don't want to be in that situation, and especially with performance problems, because those are not quick to fix. Now, the last one is your ability to tolerate the language syntax or stack that you're trying to use. There's lots of stacks that are real nice to use, but if you don't like them, this is rough. There's a lot of languages that have really cool features that are really impressive. Hello, Python. I love Python. It's also possible that there are things that drive you nuts about it. Um, Like in in my case, um, I discovered that I really can't stand how Python treats spaces as syntactically significant. Mm -hmm. Because I'm so used to that not being a thing. Yeah. Um, And it just, like I tried to use Django and I just kept tripping over myself with that one thing. Well, and I guess it's because I... And I love my curly braces, by yeah. the way, too.
0: <laughs> I guess it's because I, I had been in other environments way back when. And so doing Python reminded me of some of the older stuff I'd done when yeah. I was in high school. I like the way it handles data. It handles data as sets like SQL does. Yeah. Instead of as objects like... Um, well, and I totally OO. like those features. Like yeah.
1: list comprehensions are awesome. Oh yeah, in Python. Like that's that's great, but there's syntactic stuff that I'm like, ah. mm-hmm. and like stuff like that is is fine when you're playing, when you're trying to do a business thing. Yeah, like you've got to take that into account. Mm-hmm. Now it may or may not be enough to push you over the edge. Um, like with Python and the spacing thing, like that irritates me. But there's stuff in Django that is nice enough where I you can get over yeah, it. Yeah, like the just the admin middleware the by itself. Is- but um, yeah. This is more important than you think. Funky language
0: features that give you heartburn will wear on you with time. And you really have to make that decision like Will's talking about where, you know, hey, that that one little thing bothers me, but and it's a, a cost-benefit analysis. We, we've talked about that a lot before where it's like, all right, this bothers me, but these features and the ability to do things like list comprehension, the way it treats data, some of the things that I love about Python, Yeah, it. it I look at it and I go... You know, if that doesn't bother me, but if that bothered me, the other things outweigh and
1: that. And it might get to the point where it doesn't bother you, but yeah. just just be kind of aware of that in the mm-hmm. back of your mind that, hey, there's there's some stuff that's going to grate after yeah. a while.
0: And you, you're going to dislike some things about your underlying platform, no matter what you're using, your day job platform. You know, there are things about C-sharp that I don't like.
1: Yes. For instance, not being able to specify a generic constraint, constructor that doesn't that does have parameters, for instance. <laughs> I've had that problem too. Not too long ago, even. <laughs> like, please, <laughs> Anders, if you're listening, fix this.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, he's going to take our advice on that. Yeah. Um,
0: um, you know, another thing is neither one of us are likely to build WordPress plugins soon. There's too many things in that ecosystem, especially when you get to, into security, that just drive both of us nuts. I, I, you know, as much as I love Python, I really don't like PHP and I have friends. I have friends I went to high school with that are PHP
1: developers. I will say this. I hated PHP until the first time I looked at Laravel code.
0: Uh, The problem with WordPress is it's been around forever.
1: Yeah. And so they've got a lot of technical debt and they've got a plugin ecosystem that was, was built for another age. Right. There's a huge
0: difference between something that is cool to learn and fun to support as a side project.
1: Right. It's, it's like having a, um, a car that you tinker with. Like if it's your second car and you like to tinker with it and play around with it and, you know, try to t- you know, tweak the engine and do all these other things and you like to do all the mechanic work, that's fine. When you need that thing to get you to the hospital because you're trying to not bleed out, that's a different situation. And that difference in perspective is kind of something that's going through the farm equipment. Industry right now because a lot of farmers are going, Hey, you know, you've made this thing where I can't repair it and I'm depending on it for my livelihood. Like it's a tinker toy for you guys, but I have to be able to plant Uh, my crop.
0: Yeah. um, My dad's best friend, I've had conversations with him. You know, the biggest seller right now is tractors from the 70s. Yeah. Because they don't have all that stuff in there and they are trying. Like he is encouraging some of the young men at his church, like the teenagers, to go into learning how to repair that. Because he's like, You guys have your job set yeah like go into the the computer side of that stuff he's like you're you're set for life because we have to have this
1: stuff it's, it's funny how the mind gets clarified by the inability to eat um and that's that's where you'll be so you got you just gotta bear this stuff in mind um now This probably means that you're not going to want to use something that you're trying to learn for this because you don't know the pitfalls. So that means that you get to fall into Mm -hmm. every pitfall. It might also
0: mean that you don't want to use the same language that you use all day and associate with a job situation that you may or may not like. Personally, I love my job, especially when I actually get to code and I'm not like putting out fires. And so doing C-sharp on the side would be great. Um, I wouldn't do web forms though. No, with school... I'm actually starting to enjoy Java a little bit. Like I'm, I'm seeing some things in it that I like. Yeah. Uh, and it's writing academic code is kind of fun when you're like, all right, I know I'm good enough to, to not read the chapter and pass this. I'm still going to read the chapter for the test later. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of fun, uh, especially looking at the challenges and stuff.
1: But you wouldn't want to do that. Trying to build a production app right now. probably. No, I would not do
0: Java in in production right now. Yeah, I could, I,
1: I, I probably could pull it off just
0: because it's close enough. Yeah. But I wouldn't want to.
1: Now, this plays more into emotion than objective fact. So, in other words, it's not objective, it's subjective. Yeah. Because you don't want this kind of emotional friction in your life. So, if you're having a bad reaction to something that's in a platform, in a language that you're looking Mm -hmm. at using, then maybe do something else.
0: You probably also don't want something that is so far behind that it makes you nervous.
1: Yeah. So you don't start a new project with, with ASP.NET Web Forms. Now, Web Forms is still supported. It's still allegedly going forward. But if you look at Microsoft and the way they behave towards it, a lot of the love is gone. Um, I guess the way I would put it is that you don't want to use something that looks like it might go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would feel like Web Forms is that. You know, the other thing, too, is it's not not particularly cool so getting help and getting other developers involved is going to be a little harder.
0: I know I've had to deal with some web forms. I that- see I
1: deal with it all day. And I would imagine that developers in the Python space kind of still feel the same way about Python 2. Yeah. Like it's still around, it's still supported uh mm-hmm. thus far, but uh, again, like you don't want to mm-hmm. start something in a antiquated platform because if it does go away, you don't want to be 200,000 lines in.
0: Or um in a more front-end perspective. AngularJS. Yeah. So guys, side hustles offer a challenge to developers. However, that challenge can easily turn first to drudgery and then to pain. So you have to be careful about the platform you choose. The goal of a side hustle is to eventually get some extra money, which creates an entirely different set of constraints than doing a project with the intent of learning things. Even though you'll learn a ton on a side project. You know what? It's not for everyone, but anyone can give it a try. That pretty much wraps us up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade?
1: I just want to throw out an idea or a, a thing I ran into this week. I was speaking at Nashville Software School and one of the students asked, you know, about learning other programming languages. And the particular context was that they found out that about 40% of the graduates don't use the language that they learned at the software school in their day jobs. They do some other programming language and they're really discouraged about this. And it, it occurred to me that, yes, that's, that's a true fact as far as I know um, from the statistics, but there's also another thing here. And that is that 40% of the students that graduated from there were competent enough to switch languages. And I pointed that out to them and I said, look, both of these facts are true but one of these facts is empowering and the other one is not. So I said, my question to you is, why are you picking the one that's not empowering? Like if if two facts are both equally true, but one of them makes you feel weak and small and the other one does not, you should pick the one that makes you feel better and focus on that one. So I just want to put that out there as, as something to consider um, because you're if you're doing a side hustle, like you're gonna run into a lot of that kind of stuff too, That's an attitude that you need to adopt. That's all I got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby For Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason
0: Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live talking about what's going on in the tech world and
1: answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to completedevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.